Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning into another episode of the Misfit Podcast. Happy Phase 4 day. Also, happy comp block. Nope. You did it. You happy. It Ted, we're starting over. <laughs> <laughs> keep that. Keep that. Keep that in the intro. That has to be the intro. <laughs> Just do it again. Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning into another episode of the Misfit Podcast. Full Goon Squad in the house. And, Yo. An honorary fourth, fifth goon. Paige Semenza in the house. Paige, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Good. Good. Happy right. phase four day. And what is uh, Hatchet up to right now? Quarterfinals prep commences. Yes. Quarterfinals Quarterfinal prep commences. Prep. Not to be confused with quarterfinals prep camp, which you can sign up for right now at misfit.camp. That is March 4th and 5th, but we want you to show up on March 3rd and do 23.3. Nailed it. Nailed it. With us at Misfit Gym Portland. Tickets are selling. They sold out last year. Make sure you head to misfit.camp and get signed up for that. Um, we're going to jump right into it. Paige, you've said some interesting things to me in the last couple of days about... Um, some of the things you've been focusing on and how you've structured your day. So I'd love to hear how sort of phase three went for you, maybe um, what you liked about it, what you quote unquote didn't like about it, which sometimes can be the good stuff. So, yeah, um, I actually, when we go through like our remote coaching meeting to go over the phase, I, a little bit closer, sorry, better. Um, when we went through our remote coaching for phase three, <clears throat> I had a call with Gabe right afterwards and I was like, I think Drew wrote this for me. <laughs> it's literally everything that like the aerobic rowing, the anaerobic skiing, um, all the gymnastics pulling, like that was everything that like I could really zero in on for the phase and um, just this time of the year. And I really bought in the skier and the rower were my best friends. So um, I kind of structured my days to make sure that those were my priorities. Um, a couple of Metcons were also priorities. We would highlight those um, in my sheet. And then the lifting kind of, I won't say took like a back burner seat, but um, <clears throat> I still hit the whole back squat cycle, but it wasn't my priority. Mm. Strength strength is something that I am really, you know, good with. I pretty move pretty well. I'm strong. So um, I just, I know I need to get better on the machines and get my overall fitness up. So that was my focus. What was the hardest part about the face? Most challenging Honest, part. For, honestly, the the back squats got super aggressive, especially not hitting them like first in a training session. Um, but yeah, if you gas out on the rower, yeah, right. Something so, like that. Um, I had a bit of company on the rower pieces. You know, some of them were really long, so um, I just really bought into that. Like they weren't fun, but you know, that's kind of where the magic happens. <laughs> So. Bigger, bigger question, did you out-squat your coach? I saw your little uh, chirp to him <laughs> on social media. Did you out-squat your coach? That needs the... Uh, that needs to be I actually answered, never I asked a, him if you did five That's, by a, gay, five that's that such weight. a Gabe throwback <laughs> to back in the day where he's talking to one of his athletes and he's just like, I'm going to go to the garage right now and see if I can he squat does. more he than so you. so hyped up. So hyped up. Gabe has been that way for 13 years <laughs> or however long ever. I've known him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gabe, 50? <laughs> At least... <laughs> Well, what do you think? How's phase three? Difficult. Very difficult. Uh, I think the the main challenge for me over the course of the past phase is just continuing to progress and not getting lost that like we talked about in a few podcasts back about like the 
almost the opposite of the dog days of summer. I don't know what the, the darkness of winter and getting stuck in the gym, you know, where, you know, family commitments come up around the holidays and just like not getting distracted mm. with the noise that comes around the holidays and like get togethers and everything that happens around that time of year. So, um, overall relatively pleased with how things have gone. I've gotten a little bit of a funk the last couple of weeks, but like I knew that was coming with the holidays that like there'd be less than optimal time to train. So just kind of prioritizing. So, you know, you and I talked about this a couple, maybe two weeks ago. And it's just like on the days that you feel stressed about it, treat it like a hatchet class, get 90 minutes, whatever you get done in 90 minutes is better than zero minutes. So do that. So that was pretty easy to look at what you give me each week on my sheet and go, Basically, everything on the right-hand side of that sheet's a little bit more important than things on the left-hand side of that sheet mm. just in terms of the way my sheet is structured, and I just kind of prioritize those things first. So any workout that has a big-time pacing requirement to it, any type of workout that has uh, muscle overload, when it tends to be you know doubling up on body parts, t- t- gives me a little bit of a struggle there. And then just making sure that like all the lifting stuff, it's all about quality of movement more so than like bragging rights on weights. So it, I thought at first the this volume squat cycle would be a little bit weird because historically that that phase for me usually working off somewhere between like 425 and 445 for a back squat and there's a stipulation this year that if it doesn't look like a back squat that would like also look like a clean or a snatch it's not a back squat so went significantly lighter than i had been in the past you know used yep. 30 to 40 pounds less than i historically had and it was just as effective and i feel just as strong as i other would otherwise would and i find it's translating to other things more effectively which is really what we're after anyways so um can confirm that the volume squat phase even if you decide to dial things back and not let your ego run your run the show it's still a very effective squat phase so like i'm happy with how that went um and it was just as hard as i can remember being years ago when it was not the prettiest squat yeah the Today's theme for the podcast is weakness work. And one thing that's unique about your weakness when it comes to strength is you're very strong, but we need to essentially gain access to that strength when it is something more higher skilled or more dynamic or requires a larger range of motion. And when I think about access and strength, I think about actual mobility and stability within positions. And then I think of skill and the most glaring example I think is when we used to do the, um, when we used to have you do the clean pulls back in the day and we would just talk about like, like when you go to do a squat clean at 275, you pull the bar a little bit too quickly off the floor. You get a little bit of an early arm bend and you essentially make the weight look a little bit heavier than it needs to. And then we would go through clean pulls Then we would go through clean pulls and they would be impeccable and you looked like the strongest fucking guy in the gym. And it was like, okay, let's think about this for a second. Like, what does the speed need to look like off the floor for you to get into these positions? You know, you deadlift whatever 500 for 10 or something ridiculous. So if we're talking about pulling 275 off the ground and being nervous that I'm not going to hit triple extension, it starts to get a little silly. So um, definitely like your Super Bowl is probably quarterfinals because your goal is to essentially hit a a certain you know it's top 30 yeah top 30 top 30 within your category so your goal while we hope you get to semifinals that really kind of that big moment for you is is going to be that push so um definitely a theme within phase four for you will be continuing to find access to your strength because at the end of the day if you're not strong at all like 
That's gonna, a longer plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how are we going to do that? So, like, continuing to find access within those things. Yeah, I mean, yesterday's Snatch example, like, we, I took class yesterday, and they were doing a one-hour max Snatch with Team Misfit Gym stuff, and, you know, fit really nicely in line with what I had to do, but I was doing the three-position Snatch, and, you know, you and I were, you were watching me lift, and towards the end, when I started to get heavy, heavy being relative, that all the, the higher hang stuff is more difficult for me than the floor. Like, the floor Snatch is easy, but going from mid-thigh was very difficult, diagnosed the fact that my early arm bend was essentially making it impossible for me to get back onto my heels and making sure I can extend and be powerful. And again, I'm bringing my hips to the bar because I'm pulling with my arms to pull the bar to my hips, which impedes my ability to use my hips at full capacity. And so afterwards we spent some time going through like, Hey, you need to figure out how to keep your arms long in the snatch. So we, you know, practice some panda pull yep. stuff and you had me, you know, you watch some reps and have me practice that. And that's like a good thing I can take forward. Cause again, a lot of these lifting sessions, if you think about oh, I have 85 different things wrong, you're not going to fix any of them. But yeah. if you're like, today I'm going to focus on just my arms staying long through you know, the second pull, sweeping the bar back into the hip, and you got better at it, Like that's a good session. And I think that's yeah. a, kind of a good, I don't know if you're ready to segue into the topic for the day more specifically. We haven't done nice, snack chat yet. But, uh, it's I true. Mean, we have to do talking about snacks. But that is a nice <laughs> oh, segue in terms chat. of like the podcast. Hunter's back. Like, we just got Hunter back. Where, where, <laughs> where, where am I? Where? What year is it? What is this? Um, he, was, he was in uh, the, the yellow <laughs> battery mode. What's right, that? What's it called? Mode. Power yeah. saver. <laughs> touch, touch the mouse when you wake me up. Hit the space bar. Anyways, yeah. It's good to have one thing to focus on. That's something that I want to continue to do the rest of, you know, this season is picking one thing with each thing that I do. Does he get to, to do any it. CrossFit yet? What's that? Does he get to do any CrossFit? He's going to do a little bit more CrossFit than he bargained for here pretty soon. Oh, okay. Sick. Yep. Um, Can I add to that? Yeah, of course. Like just from observing, like being up here, you also, you went down in weight. Like, I feel like that's mm. really important. <laughs> you didn't just stay at a heavy weight to try to hit those hang positions. You went back down and you dialed in, you know, keeping the arms long and, you know, focusing on that to make that your win for the day and not being like, fuck, I missed the heavy single. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. You dialed back. And again, there, there's a time and a place. If you're like, oh, I just did this one little thing wrong. Let me try again. Like maybe right. you give yourself a second or a third attempt. But if you're like, this is how I always do it. And I can't seem to figure it out. Like you're not going to figure it right. out with near maximal weight. You have to go back down and be like, all right, what is the weight that allows me to do it correct? Which is, mm -hmm. you know, a concept we teach all the time at our affiliate and something we try to teach athletes when they're watching our videos. Like if things start to go awry, backtrack, figure out what the problem is. And it might mean like lowering the level of skill in the movement. Like if it's a snatch, for example, you're trying to get better at it. You don't do a snatch from the floor, you do positional work. You do light barbell stuff. You do, you know, snatch therapy. You right to go through our warm-up protocol three or four times to dial in those positions. That is a better use of your time than being like, oh, I didn't do it. Might as well try it again. Oh, didn't do it. Might as well try it again. Because that's a really easy mindset to be stuck in because you're like, everybody else that I want to be like is doing this. And it's like, right. yeah, they are now, but they didn't just wake up one day and have that. They work to get better at that. And mm -hmm. when they have a day they're off, I guarantee you they take weight off the barbell and try to clean things back up and then rebuild. And if that's uh, something that you haven't figured out for yourself yet, try it once. You have a rough day at the, with the barbell, dial it back, clean things up, and then think about when you go into your next session, what about my reducing the weight and cleaning things up allowed me to move better? And how can I express that with a heavier, more complex skill or weight? I feel like we all have those like been there, done that things where we figured out a way to game the system a little bit. Um, and you know that that's not sustainable. So you have to almost start over like you have ogred your way to large weights and almost every lift. But, you um, know, 
that if 40-year-old Sherb wants to lift as much as 25-year-old Sherb, something has to give, right? Like a 2K for me needs to open at a really fast pace and end at a really fast pace. And maybe that will average out to something that I deem respectable. But if I do it like a normal human being should do it, like I can't tell anyone on earth what I've just done. So like there are these things where you can, again, find a way to game the system, especially when they're in their individual silos. And then what CrossFit likes to do is, you know, open the bottom and have them all filter into the same place. And then you're kind of screwed. So, um, I think that's why you're able to adopt some of that mindset because you don't have that thing in the back of your head. I've never been able to lift this much weight. Like, fuck this. You're sort of able to accept it because there is a been there done that like i have done this before and maybe i wasn't moving so well and if i want to get back to that place i can't i just think i can't move that way i think about those old sessions too like you know used to commit three to four hours of training in the gym i don't have time to do that anymore i you know dealt with a lot of overuse injuries or just things that nagged for a long time bum wrist bum elbow sore ankles sore hips and like you know to some extent, you I think that every athlete needs to have take like, take their lumps and kind of have those sessions where they're like they have a couple of days where they don't move all that well or a, a year or two where like they're figuring out the skill of things. But like yeah. if you continue along that path, you're probably just gonna get injured and burnt out, and that's not gonna be set you up for long term success. So now I'm much more okay with doing a little bit less, trying to focus on doing it really really well, and have that be my session because that's gonna allow me to not only progress and get better at the skill and the capacity I need to be fitter, but also set me up for longevity, which is something that you know has sort of taken a slight back seat this season just because I'm trying to be somewhat competitive. But like once the season's over and let's, you know, kids coming in spring, like I'm probably going to go back to doing the affiliate stuff that Hunter and I were doing, you know, prior to me kicking back up into this. And it's just going to be, you know what, go take CrossFit class, take it four to five days a week, go long a little bit, go fast, lift heavy, lift light, and just treat it more longevity based. But again, this season, even though it's more competitive based, has taught me a lot about how I can then take that mindset into, hey, you're just trying to do this for being healthy and well. And I think it's going to set me up for a more effective training, even though I don't have competitive aspirations kind of after the season. I think you learn to optimize a little bit too, right? When you're in a when you're in a mode of being <clears throat> seeking that performance, every little every little thing you do has the potential to add up to, you know, hopefully a positive result at the end of the year. And if you continue even if it's if it's you know to a lesser degree with the whole longevity thing like i mean i think we 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 did that reasonably well like last year and or like in the pre years that we've trained previous to you being more competitive i mean i think i like to think that's how i kind of train now it's yeah. using using the information that you gathered about you know times when maybe you were a little bit more competitive or were at least a little bit more mindful of like what you were doing you can then still like okay i can still take what i learned in my rowing splits when i was when i did four training pieces a day and i can still just i just apply that to this one this one training piece and it takes up you know i get a lot out of it yeah you know based on like some of the feedback with um just makes you a smarter athlete so with discord too one one thing you have to allow yourself to do is give yourself a pass every once in a while this is something you and i talked about last weekend but um, you know, if you go back and you think about those times when you did train three or four hours, you might've been a little bit fitter on certain things. Like you might've been a better rower. You might have been able to do bigger sets of wall balls, or you could do more reps at a higher percentage of your snatch back then, but maybe it wasn't very all that pretty. And like thinking back to the piece that I did, which was uh five minute row by three, 
I would think back to like, all right, like back when I could row a 632K or so, like this is what the paces I would try to hold. And then that sometimes can put a little bit of poison in the water mm-hmm. and then I start doing the piece and then go, oh shit, that's still a little too fast where I am right now. And that can be discouraging. But at the same time, I think try to then think back and go, all right, what's the totality of this picture now? I might not be as good at this one single thing in this one single workout, but overall I'm much fitter. And that, that can be um, a good way to reframe your mind if you're stuck in thinking about like how far you are from either your former self or people you want to be you know you idolize and try to be like like it was still effective if i couldn't hold a 143 for five minutes three times my 143 that day or when i did last time was a 146 split and again that's something that would have been slower historically to maybe something i could have done prior but at the same time it's where i am in my journey right now like that's a very challenging split for me to hold and that means it's good training. And again, it's hard to, to balance both of those things. Cause again, you want to shoot for the stars and aspire to be the best version of yourself, but you got to take your lumps and you have to realize that like you trained today and you got a little bit better and maybe you're not where you want to be. But if your your self-talk is super negative, it's not going to encourage you to want to go back and do it again. You need to find the positive, like silver linings in anything yeah. that you do. Otherwise the, the sport is going to be very, very challenging for you to want to continue in because if you're negatively self-talking all the time that's really hard to fuel yourself to stay motivated to keep doing it you were also attacking yourself on your greatest strength which can be odd right mm. so like it's sort of page you just did the 12.2 ish and we talked about how because of your score that's probably not a retest yeah um same sort of concept here like if you think that you are going to be able to in the thing where you've you know maybe closed the gap on how much of your potential you can reach. You've closed that a lot when it comes to the rower. So like your expectation of blasting through that ceiling over and over and over again, when it's your strongest movement is fairly counterintuitive, right? So like, I do want you to keep rowing because that's the machine that you're, it's the only machine that they're going to ask you to use. But at the same time, like you're good on that thing. So like that would be a place where you would say, I'm just going to, I'm going to show up and hold a 147, 148 the whole time. And then that Metcon over there, that little bastard over there, that's the thing that I'm going to go put my eggs into. So I just found it unique that like you have a very, you set extremely high expectations for yourself um, on workouts that are in your wheelhouse, which is totally fine. But like, is that where you need to put all of this energy into and then create a negative association with definitely not like neither of those things. Well, need it's to happen. funny. It's like you take that same mindset into like lifting, for example, like how we're scored in this sport would be the most way you lift it. Like that's typically how any sort of barbell thing sure. is judged in our sport. Yep. But if you went to the gym every day and just try to lift the most weight you could every single <laughs> day, you would never get any better at weightlifting. Exactly. You would be stuck in the same spot. So yep. thinking about that and then kind of using that as an example for like rowing. If you went in and just rode as hard as you could for every single piece, every single time, you probably wouldn't get that much better. Like you would get good returns in the first like week or two. And then all of a sudden, like in your five by five, you would try to do as many reps as you possibly could, no matter what it's question mark by five at 80% let her rip. Yeah. And that makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no (laughs) sense. So like, it That's does, an early grave right there. <laughs> it does take some time to kind of find those connections. But when you start to see those things, you can start to realize that like, hey, my squat session is not necessarily about lifting the most weight. It's about doing the squat the best way. This rowing session isn't about who can win the first round or has the best first split. It's who yeah. can be most consistent across the entire thing. And just, I don't want to say give yourself a pass, but understanding that like, there are certain times where you don't need to be as hard on yourself because it's just not good motivation for the future. Truth. 
I don't have anything great for snack chat today. Um, I'm back on, on counting my macros Ooh. and I'm a little hungry in the evening. I will say that <laughs> that's a little bit of an issue. The only fun thing that I can bring to the table is in one of my Christmas stockings. I got these, they're called, I think they're called nerd clusters. It's basically like a little gummy thing with yep. nerds around it. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. I love candy. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I love like little kid candy. Like I'm not, like I'm a, not eating like truffles. I'm not an adult. Can, a chocolate candy? Or no. Like a, like no, 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 no. Nerd tart, clusters. Colored candy. I, I brought the most childish example to the table Free, as I could. Sweet candy. Yeah. And like Maya was watching me and she's like, how are those? Like, ugh. And I was like. These are fucking the best thing. Ever, these actually. are incredible. And I'm so glad that it like it was a fairly small package of them. Cause she was like, Don't you feel sick when you eat candy? And I was like, Well, if I had a garbage bag of these, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'd still eat them all. So I'm hungry at night now, but pre-macros, oh, my nerd clusters are so good. <laughs> it's basically like a fun dip. You're like, I will take this stick of sugar and dip it in sugar Fun and dips eat the so sugar i know like we Do you love know that those. stick is like the perfect post-workout carb it's literally just a stick of multiple uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so good it's incredible <laughs> like i don't but care you, for the dip into the stuff you dip is into. it cows yeah, or horses that lick the thing it's uh like a salt lick? horses get yeah. sugar cubes right what are other dunkable? i was like dunkaroos Mm-hmm. Are the fucking tits? <laughs> but then I was like, "Well, what other, what other, what other dippable candy do we have?" And then my mind went down the rabbit hole of the cheese crap, the crackers and cheese that used to. That's you know, not cheese, to- bro. I don't know what that is. That's not cheese. Industrial gel. What do you mean? What do you mean used to? That's not yeah. candy. So I was like, I went down a rabbit hole. What about those like uh, pocky things? Aren't those dippable too? Like in what? chocolate, the the Kinder Egg with like the dipping. Yeah, I think they dip them for you. Oh, they dip them for you. I'm lazy. That's so. sort of like saying the nerd clusters are dipped. They are. <laughs> Someone dipped them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said I had to dip them. They're dipped. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Any additions to snack chat for this week? Anything good? No one knows better. If I, that stuff goes in my house, I just can't help myself. It's all gone in like a day. Like it's like I'm telling myself, this is how I get out of get it out of the house. Just I told Kenzie that, and she was like, you, "We need to discuss your relationship with food." And yeah. I was like, <laughs> "I definitely need eating disorder when it comes to chocolate." Nope. <laughs> Kenzie, yeah, says Kenzie, who leaves six boxes of life in the coach's lounge after after every visit. Kenzie Six goes grocery shopping. Cabbage in the fridge. <laughs> Kenzie goes grocery shopping when she visits. It looks like there's a child staying in my house and she leaves all of it. She doesn't yes. eat any of it. And I'm allergic to all of it, so I can't even reap the benefits once she's gone. Last quarterfinals <laughs> camp, she went out and bought snacks one day for, for the, all of us. And yeah. she came back with like Cheez-Its you couldn't eat, <laughs> cereal you couldn't eat. I'm used to that though. That's just eat. my life. It's just like a bunch of things like, all right, sit around. And then I think Austin got to it. And then I were a couple a days member later, made a special <laughs> thing for me for the holiday party. And it had nuts in it. And she, and she was like, did I just hear you say that they're, you're allergic to nuts too? And I was like, yeah, I can't eat anything. I'm a fucking loser. Like I, <laughs> but you can eat you nerd nerds. Rubs? I can. Yes. Oh, I sure can so eat. Much. I can eat nerd clusters. Clusters. <laughs> Thank fucking Christ for that. All right. Do you have any additions to snack chat? 
Any good snacks lately? I, <laughs> good snacks I, lately? I have. It's funny. I have been eating a Belvita bar f- almost every day of my life for like the last three or four years. Oh, now Jesus. I think I you said Velveeta, but I, I said think Velveeta. Not, yeah. didn't. not the cheese. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, I'm gonna support my life. Sure, not no sure. <laughs> If Sherb said I ate a bar of Elvita, (laughs) (laughs) flip this table. I'm leaving this fucking podcast. Okay, can you tell me now what that means? A Belvita, Belvita. They're like a whole grain bar, like a breakfast bar. Yep. And I eat one almost every single day. Are they good? I fucking love them. They're so good. Can anyone confirm? Like a shortbread cookie. They make all different flavors. And I actually just found like a pumpkin spice at one of the convenience stops that I made on my way up here. Kind of deal, isn't it? Not a trisket. No, that's is it more cookie? Yeah. Okay. It's like a cookie. You know like the things we got on the airplane? Cookie. When we fly like yeah. Delta, they, that's one of the options. It's like you get almonds. I mean, you since get I Belvita. can't eat them, I don't like open them and like sniff them and lick them and like uh, break them. But they make some that are like Oh man, these are great. <laughs> also, is anyone a medical professional? Yes. <laughs> you don't have a ginger ale and a Belvita on the flight? Come on. Tomato juice. Ginger snap cookie. Tomato juice and Belvita. Sign me up. Sounds amazing. Anything? You guys got anything no, for me? I got nothing. I did have a, I had a fir- my first crumble cookie of the year. Yeah. <laughs> of the week. <laughs> my first crumble cookie this week. crumble cookie of the day. No, I haven't had a crumble cookie in a while, but. How long have they been local here? Eight months. Uh, yeah, less than a year. I feel like it was right around quarterfinals camp last year is when they, they popped up because people were heading over there like after the camp. You see that they were getting a bunch of shit online because their nutrition facts are for a quarter of the cookie. <laughs> I, and yeah, a lot of people oh, yeah. didn't know. I got fired up about that. A lot of people did not like, know. It was like 125 calories. There's no fucking way <laughs> this eight pound Who's cookie gonna is eat a quarter of a cookie. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's fucked up. Like, huh? That's just Wait, a four rude. packs on a single serve? It's just because they sell the little <laughs> chopper thing. That's yeah, just yeah. like you can use this and it'll chop your cookie into fourths. Sure. Like, or you it doesn't stop me from eating. I just love that they they do that on food too, like food packaging. You see the thing in the corner, only a hundred calories per serving, yeah. and they just. Just figure out how much food Four is in servings. there and divide it by 100, yeah. and that's how many servings are in it. And you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Three almonds. The, <laughs> lovely. The marketing team's just like, this is just dropped so easy. <laughs> All right, Misfits, just a quick break to shout out our show sponsors and hopefully save you a little bit of dough on our favorite products. The full suite is back. It is here at properfuel.co. Um my routine when it comes to these products and they were built to sort of work together as an ecosystem. When I wake up in the morning, I do a scoop with 16 ounces of not too cold water of the hydrate. Um, depending on what time I work out within the day, I'm going to do one scoop of pre either, either, um, either stim free or stim. Um, and that's just going to depend on sort of my cutoff with that is going to be eight hours before I go to sleep. If it's longer than that, then I get to have another helping of uh, caffeine. And if it's not, um, then I don't. And last but not least, we have proper recover back in stock in the jugs, new design, new name, same great product. Um, depending on what my volume looked like, that can be two, three or four scoops. And depending on whether I'm trying to cut weight, stay at the same weight, add weight, all that good stuff. Um, the great thing about these products is they're all 
based on peer reviewed research. And not only is it these ingredients do this, but it's this specific amount of ingredients do this and actually help you improve as, as an athlete. Um, so you can head to properfuel.co and purchase all three of those. Use the code word page. We're also brought to you by Sharpen the Axe. You can head to sharpentheaxeco.com. Use the code word page because on the podcast today talking about weakness work. I'm going to keep this quick and dirty. Look good, feel good, feel good, play good, play good, crush your weaknesses. Again, head to sharpentheaxeco.com. Use the code word page to save on your order. Not a boy. And lastly, but not leastly, we are brought to you by ourselves, Misfit Athletics. You can head to misfit.camp. Join the squad at Misfit HQ March 4th and 5th. That's right, Ted. Am I right? 3rd and 4th? Yep. March 4th and 5th. Uh, but we'd love to have you, obviously, the night before, Friday night, uh, for 23.3 at Misfit Gym Portland. We're going to go over all a lot of the movements that you're hearing about today, breaking down a lot of the uh, those weaknesses, whether it's mental or physical, that go into performing well at quarter fi- during quarterfinals. Uh, and if you're not able to make it to the camp, you can always get started today. Phase four for MFT Masters and Teens. We're still, those guys are still kind of uh, on that slow trajectory upward towards their season. But if you are a Hatchet follower, if you're getting ready to hammer quarterfinals as your Super Bowl, Hatchet has started the quarterfinals prep phase. Um, and that is designed specifically to taper you guys right into quarterfinals to hammer that. Again, misfitathletics.com for your programming or head to misfit.camp to get those quarterfinal prep tickets. All right, let's get back to it. All right, we're good. <laughs> we've, we've, I gotta go get a Velveeta cracker. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I just see Sherb going to the store now and buying that block of, it's not cheese, it's cheese leftover substitute. Because uh, you can buy Velveeta cheese. Any good? And it's straight up cheese. Yes. It's the, it's what happens when they dehydrate, um, the cheese for the powder and Kraft macaroni and cheese. It creates this goop, Mm -hmm. the moisture that they pull out of it. And there was a guy, a scientist at Kraft who figured out how to turn it into (laughs) Velveeta. So, so they literally went from throwing all of this goop away to now they have a premium, macaroni and cheese product that costs more money and it is the byproduct of their cheap product genius yeah it is damn that's that is genius take the throw throw away that was (laughs) yes and make it worth more and now he owns now the guy who benefited from it owns patriots congratulations all right um (laughs) so Paige has been on the podcast a few times and we've interviewed her about her you know sort of journey and story and tried to get to a point where the the listeners really know who she is. So we had an idea today of basically coming up with a topic um, and having you be the next, you know, an extra person here and sort of create that bridge a little bit from um, the athlete and the coach's perspective because you are both an athlete and a coach. Um, I wanted to talk about weakness work and sort of see where it went because you've always to me had that growth mindset of you sort of get done a season, you reflect and you say, okay, this is the thing and I'm going to go attack it. Um, and for anybody that hasn't read the book mindset, just sort of the other side of that is the fixed mindset where someone says, I am the way that I am. This is how it is. When you look at something like this, you sort of know, and over the years seem to be even more open to attacking these things. And I'm guessing that's because it's worked in the past. Um, so super macro high level. How do you think about 
weakness work and why do you think you're more open to fixing things than some other athletes? Um, I mean, I'm sure part of that is from past experience of being coached pretty much all my life. So, you know, to be coachable means to be adaptable. And when it comes to training or to a sport, like you have to have an open mind and know that your like what you are doing or what you're putting forward is for the betterment of yourself or for your teammates or, you know, for, you know, whoever you're maybe working for or whatnot. So um, for me, it's just always kind of been this internalized mentality of like, I I'm going to get better. Like this is good for me and just being able to, you know, not see that every single day, but see that over periods of time. What's on the list this year post uh, post CrossFit games. So <laughs> it, it took a while to kind of get back into training. Okay. Like, you know, I, <clears throat> I didn't want to sit on a rower. I sold my soul going for a one K <laughs> row in three forty. Yeah. Um, so, but I knew in the long run, getting on the machines was going to be a huge part of my, my progress okay. going forward. Yep. So, um, it kind of took some time and then seeing that, you know, a lot of the maffetone, the aerobic work was the rower this phase, you know, maybe the week before the phase started and whatnot, I was like, all right, I'm starting to kind of mentally dial it in that I will be yep. on these machines for periods okay. of time and, um, just kind of accepting it and then just embracing it. So, um, sounds easy, but again, it's just the discipline of it and, you know, building that resiliency and that, that mentality of, you need to do this even if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, again, which is easier said than done. And you lean pretty heavily on the zone two Maffetone stuff last year. I did. That, yeah. I really started to buy in last year and even more so this year. Yeah. Um, it's, it's changed quite a bit. Like, you know, the games is always going to be a lot of running. So even after, after the games, Gabe was like, let's still try to do one running Maffetone a week. Yep. Um, which I was a little inconsistent with to start, but then I really started to, to kind of find my, my groove there. And then I started to switch it up a little bit more. Um, like this phase hasn't been all on the rower. It's mostly either been running or like a mixed machine yep. kind of, kind of deal. Have you found that that work has desensitized you to machine sessions at oh, all. Yeah. Like for me, my, me mentally buying into, um, you know, basically every other variation of the way that we attack machine work. I just don't have that association. Like when I'm trying to grind and there's 45 seconds left, it's, it's like laughable in my head. Like I was, I'm still not there necessarily on the rower, but I also haven't done as much Maffetone stuff on the rower, but there's just something about like, I, I know athletes that are good on machines and have a more aerobic bias. And I still want them doing Maffetone because of the fact that when they go to go harder and they're in these shortened windows, it's just not, it's just not mentally as challenging yeah. as it is to stay focused for that long. Yeah. And you have, you guys have done a really good job. I think this phase with programming workouts where you're either ending on a rower or ending on a skier again, you have to push. Mm. Like I, I think back to last week's, um, it was rowing, push jerks, toes to bar, push jerks, rowing, mm. push jerks. Yeah. It ended on push jerks, but still like you had that second row, which was a pretty decent clip at like 40, 32 calories. And it was like, you have to try to 
get your pace back up there and it, it has to hurt a little bit. So, yeah. um, but I think the Maffetone sessions has helped with those as well. Cause it's like, okay, you know what you hold for a Maffetone session. Now you're trying to kind of increase your pace as you go yeah. on that, you know, that 32 calories, maybe you're, you're at your Maffetone pace and then you can increase through that set of 32. Yep. One thing I definitely hear is what you just said too, is that you took the time to decompress from the season, but also had to take some time to go through and think about like, what's more important to me? The fact that I don't really want to row right now for 45 straight minutes, or do I want to go back to the CrossFit games and do better? And like, this is a conversation that I've had with athletes. I know you guys have all had conversations with athletes when you basically can't want something for someone more than they want it for themselves. And like, you have to tell them like, Hey, listen, we set out with the expectation of trying to meet these goals. Here's what I think, which is, you know, reach out to me because you were looking for help. Here's what I think will help you reach those goals. And if you're not willing to do this thing, just know that like, in my eyes, you're probably going to come up short because I think this is the thing that you need to be doing. Like my example, you know, working with Roy now going on a third season, when we look back at his performance is like, Hey, you do pretty good on machines. You've got all the skills your leg strength is what held you back. I mean, he would have been on top of the podium had he done better in two workouts that required more leg strength. And that was clearly what separated him from everybody else. So I said, listen, Roy, I know you've had historically had issues with your knees, but if we cannot figure out a way to get you squatting more often, you are not going to get better than you did last year. And that has to be black and white. Like, and I know it sucks. And it's like, Hey, you're a masters. You're still kind of considering whether or not you're going to do another season. And now that you're in, this is the thing that's going to make you do better. And if we can't figure this out, like, I'm here to tell you that you're probably not going to improve upon what you did last season. And that's a hard conversation to have. Say, hey, you're going to backslide if you don't do this. But, you know, our jobs as coaches is to try to think ahead for the athlete and say, here, this is what you have to be doing to reach your goals. And yeah, I know it sucks. And like sitting on over four or five minutes is not a fun time. But if you're what you want is more important to you. Big picture is more important than the discomfort you're experiencing in one 45 minute session of rowing. Like if you can get over that and just say, hey, I see what's coming. And those, those sessions become less and less impactful in terms of like, oh, this is so horrible. It's like, right. you no, know, you do one or two of them and then you realize it really isn't that bad, but you wouldn't get to that point until you do a few of them first. Right. Yeah. So I went on Discord this morning and asked uh, Misfit Athletics followers to tell us their single biggest weakness. And I almost, once they started pouring in, tried to correct people and say, no, 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 no. I said single biggest weakness not the entire list of either movements you don't like, or I stop myself because it sort of encapsulates what weaknesses are and what the idea of perception and different perspectives, you know, sort of create within an athlete. Um, Anytime I start remote coaching an athlete, I ask them to tell me their perceived weaknesses. I do not say, what are your weaknesses? I sort of talk them through, like, what do you think you're not good at? Um, because some of the things, even just watching them from afar from previous years, or maybe I know them fairly well and we're just starting to work together. Like that's not a weakness of yours. Like if, if you don't like it, that doesn't mean that it's a weakness. You know, there are a lot of athletes that are incredible runners, you know, from, you know, previous, you know, a previous sports background or whatever that hate running that doesn't mean it's a weakness, right? So it's like Chris Spieler back in the day used to only run when it came up in the events. And he would joke, like he would win all of them, but he's like, it hurts so bad. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to do it. So is that, you know, is that a weakness, that sort of thing? So 
What I want to do is you guys all have this list and basically it's just a list of all of them and there's a count on things that have popped up and I want to pick some random ones out and just sort of work through them and get everyone's opinion on what we think. So I can either pick one or if there's one that sticks out to you guys that you'd like to address, let me know. Let's go with a strict handstand push-up. Strict handstand push-up has the highest count. It has six. We also have two for handstand push-up, two for strict pressing. Um, Man, this this one's very interesting. It can be very complicated or it can be very simple. Um, A lot of it, a lot of it, sort of this prerequisite. So we talk about um, having access to your strength in terms of positioning and then the actual skill portion of it. I think that gets magnified when it comes to this movement. Um, there are people who start their handstand pushup journey um, without the strength, without the stability, without the mobility to get into the right positions. And then once they get stronger, once their shoulder mobility improves, they move the same way and they're never really able to push the capacity. And a video that we just did talked about um, people who have hip driven handstand pushups versus sort of, you know, using the legs and extending them up. Um, and a lot of that happens because an athlete can't get close to the wall. So they're sort of far away and they have to sort of the loop out and around style. And then when we look at the strict handstand pushup, there are some people who get into some kind of bad positions and are just good at them anyways, but they lock into that position. When you watch someone do strict handstand pushups and you see a lot of movement within their body, you sort of see them bending and breaking while they're doing the movement without the tension to sort of just slide your body up and down in space. That is a very challenging movement. And anybody who's good at them knows what that feels like because they could be with another movement. There could be a reason your midline is breaking and then you feel it. You start to press you feel yourself open up and it's like the movement that I was doing before is now just somehow like shrinking my trunk and I can't press through this position. So um, I think that sort of sets the tone for the movement. So I have people do if, if, if an athlete comes to me and they have a weakness in this, they do a lot. They do a lot of strict handstand pushups. They do a lot of handstand holds. They do a lot of strict pressing. We have different variations. I might throw some bench press in there to get their shoulders healthy, but sort of having the mobility and understanding the skill component. And then because central nervous system demand isn't high, we can attack the shit out of handstand pushups, pressing all that stuff. Yeah. I think one trap athletes fall into kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast is just see a number attached to a workout and think that like, if they don't do exactly that number, they're not doing the same workout. And for that reason, it might call for 10 repeated strict handstand pushups and they're grinding through three, then three, then two, then two singles. And the, each rep is taking them through the workout, but at a much slower cadence and at a, at a capacity that's not building the strength they need. So, you know, one of our favorite ways, and this is something you had me do years ago, probably before I even moved back to Maine, it's like, Hey, a couple days a week, try to knock out 50 strict handstand pushups in as whatever sets you can get them done in. And I remember that being a really effective way to get better at this movement was, you know, early on it was 25 sets of two. And then it was, you know, a couple of threes, a couple of twos and some singles. And then eventually it worked its way up to like five sets of 10. And then I was like, all right, if you can do five sets of 10, you're probably doing all right now. I can move on to other things. But for so much of that time, you're like the number one thing you're concerned about is pressing speed and your midline as you do it. You can focus on pressing fast and staying tight as you do it. 
Handstand pushups are a lot easier. And that concept of understanding tension and how to move my body through space without deforming was the biggest factor in getting better at that movement. And the fact that you can do them so often allows you to progress significantly faster than some other movements. The hard part being that it's a simple solution, but not an easy one because it's really easy to get distracted by something else and then get you know two weeks into it and forget that you were doing them anymore. Yeah. And you moved on to something else and then they come back up in a workout and you're like, oh, remember I had that great plan to do 10 <laughs> weeks of strict handstand pushups and I did it for like 10 seconds yeah. and I didn't get any better at them? Fuck, I shouldn't have done, I should have done that. And that's the hard thing for a lot of athletes is the consistency at which they need to be practiced correctly to get better at that movement. I think the the foundation for that, the positioning thing is super important and, and probably the most overlooked one because athletes will just do they'll do their movement and it might be it might be mechanically like a poor movement pattern, but it's like, well, you can't, you actually aren't physically capable of doing the movement correctly because of your mobility limitation. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, well, that's not something I can fix right away. So let's like but I can hammer out a bunch of reps and it's like, you can, but like, you know, the solution is actually to sit on a peanut and open up your T-spine for five minutes a day or to hang from a pull-up bar and open up your shoulders or whatever it is. I think that gets like athletes get into the, into the mindset of just like, I'm working with what I got here. How do I improve the movement based on the, my, my current settings, my current parameters here, rather than thinking like, well, Maybe you don't actually need to do necessarily more reps. Probably do. You probably could. But yeah. like if your positioning isn't good, if you can't put your arms straight over your head, if we're always overextended and odds are like, oh, you hate overhead squatting, you hate snatching, like the, the, well, the you hate wall walks, like it's it's all connected. What happens when you mix that movement? If you're like okay at the movement, you can do them when you're fresh and they're by themselves. What happens when you then put that movement with something else that also taxes your midline? You're, ar yeah, you're already broken. <laughs> Good times. You're already yeah. broken in your positioning and then you do a movement that continues to fatigue you and you know change your focus from like, I gotta stay nice and rigid and it only exacerbates like a ski erg and all of a sudden you can't do that movement anymore. Right. Like that's another reason why efficiency and movement matters so much is that very rarely in our sport do we do anything in a vacuum. You don't get the opportunity to be like, all right, guys, 23.1, 30 strict handstand pushups, go. I'm in. That's not That's a workout. Fine. That's not, they're not going to do that. You're not going to get the opportunity to do something like that all by itself. It's just not, it's just not a thing. So like, while it's good to be able to have the capacity to do 30 strict handstand pushups, you should be shooting for 30 perfect handstand pushups you can do regardless of the circumstance, because that's, what's going to translate to your fitness and your ability to repeat that regardless of what's thrown around it. Yeah, what's your history I'd with the movement, both on the your side and then the coaching side. <laughs> Definitely not my favorite movement. Okay. Um, it has been a huge work in progress. Um, even now still at like this phase, we've, we've moved some things around so that I can continue to press yep. off of the last phase. Yep. Um, but biggest thing from when I was first starting out and it again, like it's simple, right. But it's not easy necessarily was just the nose and toes hold against the wall. Yep. Like so simple, accumulate time, but re like, being so aware that like, as soon as your midline or your rib cage pops open, like, you know, come down, shake yeah. it out. Like you need to keep that locked in position here. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can, and I've, I've experienced it myself, you know, writing nose and toes hold against the wall. And I don't know if people fully understand what that means right. until you really kind of try to break it down for them. Yeah. Um, but even just starting with getting comfortable, feeling that locked out position, the opposite direction facing the sure. wall and yeah. then being able to turn around and mimic that when you're facing away. Cause like you said, like when you get into the handstand push up, some people are so far away from the wall that they're at an angle with their feet 
and it automatically puts them here. It's like a chest press. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things that you had said was to get better at pressing, one must press and we're still doing that. Yeah. So yeah, the, the two aha moments for me when it comes to strict press and strict handstand pushups, um, we're listening to power lifters talk about how they actually do a strict press and how they are clenching every muscle mm-hmm. in their entire body. So they're trying to like hyperextend their knees so that it drives their heel into the floor. Then they're squeezing their glutes as hard as they can. Then their midline as hard as they can. And they're trying to break the barbell with how hard they squeeze. So you listen to that and then you let it sort of transfer over to when it comes to CrossFit gymnastics, my coaching style is if someone's amazing at the movement, I'm going to watch a shitload of reps and figure out why they are. And then you start to draw these connections of like same, 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 like all these people are moving. And sometimes it is a bit more unorthodox like you know, the, the, do you bend your knees before you extend your hips in the, in the muscle up, like that sort of thing. There are things within the CrossFit space that would never be taught, you know, in a gymnastics class and, you know, for good reason, this is, you know, sort of a totally different thing. But when you watch people that are good at strict handstand pushups, you never see the head tip way back and then come back through. You don't see the midline break. You don't see people far off the wall. People move, people that move really well within the movement. It's just like, what the fuck? Up, down, up, down, up, down, over and over. So it's like, for me, I was like, I'm going to try to emulate that movement. Like I actually started doing strict handstand pushups as a child um, because my dad told me that Herschel Walker only did bodyweight movements. So I've been doing strict handstand pushups since I was like 12 or 13. Um, but the like being able to do large sets and move faster did not happen until it was like, that's how everyone that's good at these is moving. So if your fast set where you're, you know, moving through space is, you know, 11s all day, oh, I can start at fours and fives or whatever, and just add to that and know that that's going to develop the movement because I'm actually doing it in a movement pattern that works. Yeah, linear progression on a strict handstand push-up works amazing because yeah. you don't add that much more volume each time you go back to it, and then you just get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And the, again, the key here is consistency, and that's something you just spoke to and something we're kind of talking about over and over again here is that you know once you've dialed in the mechanics and you've made sure you're mobile enough, it, you need to keep doing it and keep doing it until you've reached the threshold where you're now then happy with what your sets are. And again, if you're a growth mindset person, you may never be happy, but you have like checkpoints along the way. I want to mm-hmm. be able to do five in a row, then 10 in a row, then 20 in a row, or I want to be able to do whatever, hold this cadence on a machine and then do this many handstand pushups. Like there are, there are like benchmarks you should set for yourself. Um, and you know, eventually realize that if you can do like 50 on command, you probably can move on to something else. But like the idea here is that you need to be super consistent with your practice, both in your focus and your execution until you get to the point where you can then move on to something else. Write it down. It makes it so much more fun. And I know that I'm a bit of a nerd and I love, you know, my like my lined notebooks or like a spreadsheet. But if you write down, you know, strict handstand push up, I'm doing the six sets with two minutes of rest or I'm doing the misfit sets. Typically, I alternate back and forth. Like if I get stuck on one plan, I move to the other. You know, if I'm writing down 
10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And then the next week I'm writing 11, 11, 11. And I got to the, yeah. the fifth set and that was a 10 again. And it's like, ah, I'm going to get, I'm going to get five or six full sets of 11. And then it's 12s. And you see this thing in front of you and you're seeing the data of how you're getting better. I think that's how people get in their way of like, life is hectic. Life is complicated. There's a lot going on in the gym. It is hard not to get distracted. And there's something powerful about finding out which form of tracking works best for you. Because when you see that in front of you, it's like, yeah, I can keep working on this. You know, it wasn't sets of 10 this week. And then it was twos the following week. Like I might quit if that's the case, but that's not going to happen. That's not how this stuff works. Yeah. It's just taking the first step in the journey instead of being like, I want to be way over there. It's like, no, I just take a step today. And then tomorrow, take another step. And then I have to take another step. And then before you know it, you're at your destination. Paige, I'm going to let you pick number two. I like the uh, seven to twelve minute workouts, oh, mainly AMRAPs, the transition game. I'm allergic to those. They're Tell me nasty. why. <laughs> um, I just I think that um, you know when it comes to open workouts, that's a pretty common time domain to see, and mm -hmm. even for quarterfinals, really. Um, and people do I, I see it a lot, even with you know my own athletes and whatnot. Um, the transition game is where it makes or break their whole workout. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that's more of like a learning how to pace and, you know, learning your, your skill set where you are within your own journey, as far as those types of AMRAPs and then being able to, you know, kind of use that mental toughness and those hard parts of that time domain. Yeah. That's an athlete IQ time domain to me. I yeah. mean, I think long, like, yeah, I mean, you could argue that for anyone, it's but the black the, hole, yeah, it's the black hole. What are you hole. supposed like, to do? Am I yeah, going hard? Am I not going too, hard? Yeah. It's like, it's too, too long Such to a gnarly send, time too domain. short to too short to pace aggressively, like a 20 minute workout. You more often than not, I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like open quarter final. It's a test. It's the test time domain yeah. where it's just like, and it's, you know, whether it's a transition thing or it's the movement, the sets of movements are too big to be unbroken, but too, you know, it's like, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into like that kind of time domain, especially yeah. for the workout to be effective. Like you can only do, you can only do so much with a really short one. You can only do so much with a really long one, but there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of flexibility in those medium time domain workouts where you can really fuck somebody up. Um, as far as like pr from a programming perspective, yeah. and if an athlete doesn't know how to attack that, whether it's a machine pacing mistake, it's a, it's a, I, oops, that was too big of a set of thrusters in that nine minute workout that yeah. I thought was going to be a six minute workout, um, can be, a can be, can seriously fuck people up in competition too. Yeah. My advice on this is something I've been doing specifically <laughs> all season long is, you know, the, the practice round idea. I don't know if enough athletes use that to their advantage. Like no one says, you know, typically in your day to day, know your enemy. Yeah. Typically in a training session, you're not on someone else's clock, you're on your own. You don't have someone be like, you got to be in the corral at this time. You got to warm up at this time. You do the workout at this time. It's like, no, you get to go to the gym and do it at whatever cadence you want to. So why not effectively warm up and then try a couple of rounds and then ask yourself, honestly, do I think I could repeat this over and over again? And if you know, you're like, maybe probably should go slower. If you're like, definitely maybe you're going a little too slow. So kind of figuring out like the Goldilocks zone for those things is a really effective way to get this dialed in. And depending on what kind of athlete you are, you know, if you're a little bit more slow twitch, maybe you have to be a little bit more deliberate with trying to push yourself early on. If you're more fast twitch, I can hold the reins pretty tight and don't be silly because, you know, 
as great as it would be to have a, a display or a monitor for everything we do, most of the things that you get tested on in this time of year, opening quarterfinals, the only screen you're ever going to see is a rolling screen if you're lucky. So you have to know exactly how those things play off one another, how long they take, what do your transitions look like. And I think the concept that you brought to us, um, well, it's been for a while now, but I'm trying to remember back when you first said it, but like be be frantic in your transitions and smooth in your movement, not the other way around, yeah. is a really good way to get better at this type of workout. Like, be more obsessed with the ability to go from one thing to the next than how you do any individual movement. And honestly, you can find yourself being a little bit more calm and relaxed and not having that freak out moment because you just did, you know, your 100 doublers unbroken, but you held your breath for all 100 and then you have to go do something right afterwards. And then you can't because you didn't, you weren't relaxed in the movement. So, you know, I think the practice round. Concept is a really good way to get better at this time domain. And then doing what we just said a second ago here with the, you know, be frantic in your transitions and smooth in your movements as opposed to the opposite strategy is a really good way to get better at this type of uh, workout domain, uh, time domain. Yeah, my mind goes to two sort of separate places with this because uh, I know that whoever wrote this, Sherb, you said, was talking a bit more about like the merry-go-round type of workout. Yeah. Um, so there's sort of that piece of it and then that gnarly time domain. So when it comes to the transition game workouts, the best example that I tried to create last year and then got amazing sort of anecdotes from it was the, I believe it was 20, 24 minutes, 24 minutes. Yeah. Row double under wall yeah. ball. Yes. And horrific. <laughs> the, the, I told everybody, I told them on the podcast, I told them in person, I told them in their spreadsheets, the only strategy, there's only one strategy in this entire workout, and that's frantic transitions, like set up your machine and your wall balls and your rope, like so that you're going nowhere. Frantic transitions, smooth movements have to be unbroken. Like you're starting to row as quick as you possibly can, but then your pace on the rower is as negligible. It doesn't matter. I don't care how fast you row. And that's sort of there, there'll be a video coming up soon i don't know what week um the workout is that these two just did um i think it's week three. yeah it's it's definitely it's in the first half of of phase four um but we talk about the difference between um the fixed cadence and the personal cadence when it comes to movements and within that workout specifically basically it was i mean not small but it was a very doable set of wall balls, a very doable set of double unders, and then you're back on the rower. And the issue is within these within these workouts, even if you know the strategy, the ego will come into play. There are certain athletes that will not accept a number on the screen, even yeah. if their rounds are slower because of it and their end goal score is slower because of it. And the scores came back from almost everyone, and I hated most of them. They were not what I had asked for, and Austin was about to do it. And this would be considered a weakness type workout, other than the double unders for Austin. And I was like, I'm, and then he likes to hear stuff like this. I don't care about your row pace. He's like, yeah, hold, hold my beer, kid. <laughs> hold my proper recovery. <laughs> recovery. Oh, yeah. um, and he beat everybody. He beat everybody. He had by the top score. Too. Yeah, by exactly. And you have to be able to accept that when we go into the open, especially on something like the rower, where if they're asking you for a smaller set, guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that much. So I would say really understanding how to execute on a merry-go-round workout. Sometimes there are all three of them are 
personal cadence. Sometimes none of them are, and then you really do have to figure out the strategy of how you're going to do that. Um, and then the seven to 12 minute workouts, like broken record here, but take notes on what you're doing yeah. and really identify what's going on. That the 12 minute version is the same as the 20 minute version, except your, your row pace is one or two seconds faster, you know, 20, 30, 40 calories per hour faster, whatever it is. It's not that much. Smaller, do you it's, think? it's not yeah. that much different. And there just might be a bit more of fast twitch athletes get to start a touch faster. Everyone can kind of send it towards the end, that sort of thing. But, uh, being able to to connect those two concepts, I think, would be really important for and an athlete. This is actually something out. we've talked about at the affiliate with some of our members here because we try to get them to understand when you look at a workout, like let's say it has a 500-meter row, 100 rows at a two-minute, and I row at a 150, and best-case scenario, I gain 10 seconds. But if I put my hand in the chalk bucket once, he's already passed me again. And we also talk about like if you were to like map out the energy required, everyone thinks that as they work a little bit harder, it's a nice straight line up and up and up. And it's not. It's a big old exponential curve. So right. for every little bit you try harder, you work significantly harder to go faster. So like realizing the points in the workout where you should be doing that, because either there's a little bit of time left or, you know, it's something you're really, really good at. It doesn't really fuck you up all that bad. There are times you can kind of pick and choose certain movements to maybe go a little bit harder on, a little bit slower on. But like there are very few instances where crushing the machine is the workout. Like that is where all the, your score comes from. And again, easiest example for everybody is like Jackie. Just if you- You want it to be less of an effect on your body than it is for other people not to move significantly faster Correct. than other people. Yeah, just being able to read into that. And again, I, I think back to, we had a test maybe two years ago and it was like 500 meter assault bike. Then it was like power cleans and handstand walking. And we had an athlete in the gym and I did it with him the first time. And he went so hard on the bike that he couldn't do the other two things with any sort of consistency. Comes back around seven weeks from now and, and literally bikes at like 200 watts less on every single one and beats the score by like two rounds. And he's like, yeah. how the fuck does that make any sense? I'm like, think about how terrible you felt when you got off the bike when you went that hard. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. But again, it doesn't feel I've that I've said way. like nine things total in the last decade on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck. That's one of them. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't get rewarded for killing yourself there. So again, I get this, I think what you kind of emphasize here, taking notes, taking notes, taking yeah. notes, and then being really aware of like the difference between how you feel after a 151 versus a 154 pace and like getting that like in lost in the weeds and that obsessed with the details is how you make sure that you've kind of calibrated the appropriate pace for the appropriate time domain or style of workout. I think it's counterintuitive to a lot of people too. I'm fresh. Why do you, why do you want me to go as slow as I would go when I'm burnt out? And it's like, Every round that you stack on top of one that you've just done or two or three or four or five takes more energy from you is more taxing. And I try to get people to wear heart rate monitors a little bit more often within their Metcons, not because I'm like, all right, I need an RPE of 2.6. I want a negative zero eight on the way down and a 2.2, you know, all that ridiculous shit. Wow. I want you to be able to go in and say... I was at a 150 and then a 155 and then a 160 and then a 165 and a 170. And you will know, I guarantee you, you will know, you will be able to look at your watch when you have entered zone five. I know that your heart doesn't go there. Sure. It would be zone four for you, but two. Uh, <laughs> yes, two, sorry for me. <laughs> zone two in France. Um, but you, you nice know, when you asshole. tick over into that and it, you can't have that much time left once you tick over into that because you can only spend so much time in there. Although CrossFitters Death have defied a lot of logic when it comes to that. <laughs> I've spent, 
I've spent a hunk of time. Yes, he also hold his, his own fire for like 85 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on that? Want to move on? Yeah, we'll move on. All right. What do you got, Hunter? Uh, I suspect since everybody wants me to pick the gymnastics one, I'll, we can start. <laughs> we can start there. Um, oh, gymnastics. So basically, all, people who say gymnastics, gymnastics say yeah. like gymnastics are hard for me, and I'll, I'll I'll be the broken record, but gymnastics are a strength to body weight ratio. I'll get your soapbox. Factor. Hold on. That's it. Yeah. Hold, hold, sit, stand. Sit, Neil, Ben, stand. Okay? Get Tom Cruise's egg crate to stand on. Um, but it's a like there's there's plenty there. We talked about a lot of them with the handstand push up and the positioning requirements for for our gymnastics movement um, in CrossFit. Most of them you get to use your hips. Um, so there is an element of being able to uh, game around a strength deficiency of some sort. But at the end of the day, gymnastics movements are a game of strength to body weight. And for a lot of athletes, whether, you know, at, at less so at the competitive level, just because of, you know, everything is dialed in so, so, uh, so far. But the farther away you get from elite, the more you're just we have you get the the either recreational athletes or athletes who are aspiring to compete and have managed to, you know, either it's it's I drank the Kool-Aid. I love training. I love exercising. I'm, I want to be in the gym and, and physically exerting myself every day. But the things that aren't happening is the nutrition. It's the it's the things outside of the gym. And it's like you're you are you're carrying around unnecessary body weight that's making these movements impossible for you. And and it's just that's that's just how it is. Like I, you can we can argue that you can be upset about that. But that's the um, it's like if, if you are you either need to get significantly stronger the the thing, it's like okay well i'll get stronger let's let let's not worry about the let's not worry about the nutritional side let's just get really strong it's like okay well muscle weighs more than fat so you are going to get sure you get stronger theoretically to get stronger you need to build muscle and to build muscle you're going to gain more body weight that you yeah. need to move up and over the rings over the pull-up bar whatever it is um and it's just it's a you know that's the that's the game you have to play with the with a lot of the gymnastics movements and there are plenty of other reasons why someone might struggle with gymnastics but that's that's always where i go first or at least where i think first when somebody's like i'm really bad at gymnastics what's wrong especially if it's like all gymnastics if it's like yeah my handstand push-ups are really hard my the dips are hard like my hands my handstand walks are hard it's like that okay there now we've got a couple of common threads everyone did like, like a whole 30 back in the day and then did some ring dips and they were like fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that um, happened to everybody yeah. <laughs> can confirm but yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, you're spot on there. You have to, first of all, make sure that you're not carrying on extra body mass. And then I would argue the next step is to make sure that all of your strict gymnastics are more or less dialed in. So you're strong enough to do all of these movements because yep. that's the next step is like, you know, once you've kind of dialed in the fact that you're training consistently and you're eating really well, you need to be strong enough to do these movements. So like when's the last time you paid attention to the simple things like push-ups, dips, you know, uh, handstand holds, strict pull-ups, those type of movements. And then once those are dialed in, you probably have an excellent foundation to get good at gymnastics, but you need to have all those things checked in. And it doesn't, doesn't seem like a big list, but like it kind of is. Even, and even if you skip, like you skip, let's say, let's say you can do some of those moderately well and you, you're skilled and strong and coordinated enough to use your hips to get, you know, to get yourself up and over the rings or whatever. That is such a, that's such a short term, like, your ceiling is Ouch. so much lower and and you're like almost certainly going to get injured. Not almost certainly, but way, way more likely to get injured just because it's like, oh my, why would I use the large muscles to support my joints when I have these tendons and ligaments that are 
holding on to everything and, like shoe and strings. i think honestly you know because we again coach the affiliate a bunch we get these questions often and people want to know like what the secret blueprint is to the muscle up like all right show me the journey through the woods that gets me to the muscle up the first time and it's like i'm sorry but like you need to pay attention to how you're eating how you're taking care of your body and you need to get stronger like that's that's yeah. that's it like very rarely does someone come to you or i in class and is like you know what i crush strict pull-ups i crush my dips i don't have a muscle up like how do i get one then it's like, all right, here's Triceps a couple aren't strong enough. Yeah, here's a couple drills, and then they're over the rings that that same day. That that happens often when yeah. someone yeah. comes in and has all those things, but someone comes to you and they're a little overweight, don't have those things dialed in. They're like, give me muscle, but it's like, all right, we're we're gonna be on a journey here. It's not gonna happen overnight. And unfortunately, like I'd love to be able to say, like, oh yeah, do these three things and sleep tomorrow, and tomorrow I'll see the gym and do muscle ups. It doesn't work that make way. our job a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> I think like, you know, understanding how the movements work, right? Like it's one thing to have the strict, right? Like that is definitely a prerequisite, but then you have to understand how your body moves through space and how the mm. shapes of these movements are, you know, they work. It's just like thinking of strict handstand pushups. My rib cage is tucked down. I'm braced being on a pull-up bar. Like, yeah, you do a million reps and it becomes pretty automatic. But even when I'm doing a set of chest of our pull-ups, I'm thinking of the cues that I need to think about to, you know, do the movement well and hang on to the bar, see my feet in front, you know, open my hips, pull in like it's then it becomes an automatic thinking of the movement pattern and not so much of thinking of the breathing that I'm, you know, the shittiness yeah. of it that I'm feeling. Um, you have to really understand those basics of the movements and the shapes yeah, when I it think, comes to the gymnastics. Yeah. The number of times I've, I've had, to, I've pulled out a whiteboard for affiliate class and like you try to explain and CrossFit, you try to <laughs> combine classical like physics mechanics with biomechanics with like CrossFit class. And it's like, we see why like bending your knees makes these toes to bar harder. And it's like, no, not really. It's like, okay, well here, hop up on the pull-up bar, bend your knee, pretend that you're only four feet tall instead of, you know, five, six and do toes to bar. It's like, that was harder, right? Okay. Trust me. The physics are there. Like, this is why we teach it that way. And it, you're, that's a really good point is like with gymnastics, it's, it's leverage, it's momentum. It's yeah. all, it's all of those things that make the movement at least What's more efficient. A good CrossFit coach could teach a like summer camp version of physics. I'm just going to throw that out there. We have the I've examples. Had a, I've, had a, I've had some summer camp physics. And I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know if anybody would have passed the test, but yeah. And a low key thing that Paige just kind of mentioned that if you don't for do real, it, for real, for real on God is a <laughs> busing <laughs> for real though, is going to actually help you in these movements <laughs> is the repetitive nature and the, almost the meditation of how to do a movement while doing it distracts you from the discomfort you're experiencing and may allow you to be more consistent in the movement. So like, you know, one of the things we've said at camp before is like feet, hips, feet, hips, feet, hips, and it's just a bar pull up. Like it doesn't need to be those two words. It could be whatever words work for you well, but like right. if you can stay in a mantra while you do that and you distract yourself with like thinking about how you move on every single movement that is repetitive because almost everything that we do in CrossFit is very repetitive. Like if you can convince yourself to think about that and not like I'm breathing, my muscles hurt. I'm tired. I didn't eat very well. Like those type of things, you can stay in the workout and stay present, which is going to improve your performance and help you stay engaged in the the skill work you set up to do in the first place. Like yeah. I want to get better at this workout because it has chest bar pull ups in it. Well, if I tell myself feet, hips, feet, hips, feet, hips on every single uh, chest bar pull up that I do and I do it the entire time, I'll probably get more work done and I won't be thinking about how uncomfortable I am the entire time, which is a huge way to get better at movements because if you set out with a negative expectation of how much it's going to suck, like not going to go better that way. 
Right. And I always tell people too, if you are listening to this and you're like, well, I'm already good at it, so I don't really care. The, the, that feet hips thing came from at the time, the best gymnast in the entire sport telling us that he said that still said that to himself every time he was doing chest of bar pull-ups. And it wasn't the cue. The cue is something that we teach, but the idea that he has that mantra to go in and do that just to me completely changes, you know, the mindset of like, even at the highest levels, like, like, Things as dumb as I love deficit handstand pushups and every single time I'm trying to snap my knee open as hard as I possibly can before my ass comes off the wall. And then all of a sudden I've made it through, you know, more reps than I normally could because I'm sort of locked in on that idea. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot to say about this topic, but it's been covered by most of you. I just think about most things with like a systematic approach. So the idea of those shapes you need to know exactly what they look like before you can execute them. So whether you watch someone from a profile view online and you screenshot where they're at after you download the video, there are a bunch of different ways to do this. But we need to know exactly what we're chasing in terms of those shapes. The next step would be creating those shapes. Um, a lot of times we get the, especially at the affiliate level, the like kickback, the like pushback of, I'm not doing that. Nuh-uh. No, I'm not. And it's like, well, you would have been fucking, you would have loved this gym back in the flip phone days, but now I got a <laughs> 9,000 HD, whatever the fuck, a Motorola 67 K <laughs> camera in my pocket that I'm going to point at you right now and show you in super slow-mo 120 <laughs> frames per second that you were doing absolutely nothing like what you think you are. Um, so that's a part of creating those shapes is having a coach present, videoing yourself, yeah. whatever, just like, again, like, I'll think I got the gnarliest hip extension on a muscle up and you guys all fall over laughing. Like, I don't even know what that I, is. Tell me what that is. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what? Um, and then the piece I think that gets overlooked is when that technology came out, the concept of a coach's eye and the slow-mo scrolling through was just, yeah. So, such, so am I. That app was so good. Yeah, I still I still have it. You can still use it locally. You can't just can't upload things. I drop I drop my devices in the tub too often to have an app from an old <laughs> <laughs> quarterly tub drop. Yeah, Drew. If I do it twice in a quarter, I can't tell Maya about the second time that I've dropped my my it's stuff. Good in thing the tub. most of them are like water resistant these yeah. days, right? That's yeah, you can tell her once a quarter, and that's yeah, okay. yeah. That's the line. If, and if I didn't tell first. her, she would just know that it's probably a new phone. It's new time yeah. for a new. Who needs a new phone? I can sense it. <laughs> um, I feel like one's been in this tub recently. <laughs> if we get obsessed with these shapes and we're scrolling through, you can hit these shapes and be doing the movements wrong. Because mm. let's say there is shape one and shape two and shape three. The how smooth and how fluid you are in connecting those Tiny. shapes together. You know, timing is a really great way to put it in a lot of movements, um, but you can see these things and athletes in a CrossFit gym have this ability to like levitate and be in these positions for way longer than they need to, especially when we do slow things way down. So if you went slow enough, it would look right. And then when you watch it, just that intuition that a coach has, you know, it's wrong. Um, and there's just this ability to connect these shapes and if done properly, you cannot tell where one starts and one ends and all of this. Um, and 
I've I've I'm working on right now a super in-depth version of this for the muscle up at quarterfinals prep camp and just getting people into like showing them exactly how they can get into that position and the nuance of like when you watch um, like Austin's always been someone that I've used as an example. One of the things that Austin does, um, not only is he looking at a specific target when he's doing his muscle up, but when he's in that position where full hip extension has happened, so we have a straight line from the shoulder to the knee, the feet go down, but the head, the chin is tucked. The chin is tucked in the position. So, so many other people, when they hit hip extension, lay their head back and then not only can they not lead with their head and have momentum to go through, they have a larger range of motion. Like that's the thing, like your head can't, I've never seen someone do a muscle up. Sorry, I'm laughing. I'm picturing this with like the Pez dispenser happening when they get to the top. Like, can you imagine someone like whiplash, like <laughs> up at the top of the rings with their head kicked back? So if we know that your head is going from Pez dispenser all the way forward, and I watch someone like Austin and it's like, what is the nuance? Here? What is it that makes this movement easier for him? And every single time his chin is tucked and essentially perpendicular with like his, his chest. And you can tell that that just sends him from one position to another. So being able to make the connections from those positions we're searching for, and then also knowing what nuances there in in CrossFit shapes. Again, I don't think that's something that's going to be taught in a gymnastics gym, like try to contort your head and push your chin all the way to your chest as you're getting ready to turn over in the rings. Maybe it is, I'm not sure. Um, but just smaller things like that. So I think we sort of touched on a lot of, of what's needed here, but there's this like beautiful, like artistry of connecting those dots. That's not just it's this, and then it's this, and then it's this. Yeah, my thought when you were speaking is like after you you understand like this this concept of like you should like watch and review yourself moving, and you start to figure out these shapes. Like first, watch them all statically. Like try to see like is my body in this shape? Check. Scroll a little bit further in the video. Check. Scroll a little bit further in the video. Check. That's great. And then you start to play it in slow motion, so you can kind of see how your body progresses to those shapes and see if you can find any nuance there. But then never forget to go back and watch it at full speed because what I was thinking about as you guys were talking, I'm sure you were thinking about the same thing as that athlete that does the very, what looks like in slow-mo, a very good chest to bar pull-up, but is clearly like super arm dominant and not really getting a lot from their hips. And that's where you wouldn't really pick up on that until you went back did, at full don't speed. Don't fucking look at me like that I can guy. see I you can, looking at me. I can smell your eyes looking at me. <laughs> I can't do them right I'm either. I'm not smelling eyes. Hunter smelling people's eyes. I'm fucking I literally am trying to make eye contact. See his head turn towards me. Over here. Sure. I'm going to take a whiff of those I'm leaving. fucking out of here. here, kid. All I'm trying to say here is make sure I swear every time you watch your frames, (laughs) you watch your shapes, you watch in slow mo, then eventually you always go back and make sure you watch it at full speed. I know a guy named Shapes. All right, I'm done. (laughs) All right, uh, final thoughts on this one is going to be to pick one more and give a sort of rapid fire, like less than we'll say less than two minutes, like as quick advice as you can, so that it's addressed. We're gonna let Paige go first, unless you don't want to go first. Um. Leveraging training partners. Um, I mean, I guess, how would you be saying you have training partners? How do you use use people around you to push, whether that's digital or in person? How could you use Um, that person to help you? Just from a little bit of experience, I mostly trained by myself a lot. Recently had a girl at our gym start following Misfit, and um, she's great on machines. She 
is um, a monster with the barbell and just overall starting to build her athlete IQ and, you know, maybe in a, a few Metcons, you know, I'm, you know, a step ahead. There are some Metcons where, you know, she's a step ahead of me, but um, knowing that she's better than me on machines, I try to embrace that and work with her quite often on any bitch work piece that I do. Um, and I have seen just overall improvements because, you know, she will hold faster paces than me, but it, it gives me a chance to close the gap on my own pacing and my own window. So, you know, thinking of rowing for 20 minutes where I'm holding a 900 cal average, you know, just kind of having that person next to you to sit with you for 20 minutes, I'm able to kind of, you know, take a mental note of, I know I've done this already. I think I can up my pace a little bit and let's see what that is. Um, and just having a positive mindset when you have a training partner, I think is super important. You know, people feed off of other people's energy. And if you are a bad energy or they are a bad energy, you're not going to get as much out of it. So, um, you know, it's part of being like a good human, really. Yeah. Um, and making what you love to do in the gym as enjoyable as you can. I'll let Hunter go next, but I'll go. Uh, I look at the light, <laughs> light high rep thruster, and I just think, well, the open and quarterfinals are coming up. You're probably going to have at least one workout with that movement in there. And this is one of those concepts I think is that <sighs> you're all squat a bunch, you all press a bunch, Ooh, right? you, you do there. those things. <laughs> but how often do you voluntarily go up? You know, I'm going to work on my muscle ups. I'm going to work on my handstand push. How many of you dig a barbell out and go, you know what? I hated the last time I had to do 20 thrusters at 75 pounds. I'm going to go do thrusters at 75 pounds for a handful of reps, rest, and then do it a few more times. So, you know, you can kind of look at this entire phase, phase four, as like a nice run up to your, to your season. Cause that's what it is. And if you're looking at that and you look at other movements and go, you know what, maybe I have my double unders dialed in, or I have the skill work for this phase. I don't need to do more handstand pushups. I'm good at those, but I'm terrible at thrusters. It's like the same movement. You just need to practice the movement more. So, in this circumstance, I would say if you have a movement that's a glaring weakness and you're not constantly trying to improve upon it, going back to kind of the concepts we've already talked about, like first, are you moving well? Second, are you do you know what you're looking for when you're doing it? And then third, are you doing it enough to improve or move the needle? You know, we've had great success with athletes who come to us and say, hey, I'm not good at thrusters. And our response is, all right, cool. Do forces of 20 once a week. Start at a weight you know you can do forces of 20 with. And the next week, add five pounds, do it. Next week, add five more pounds. Next week, add five more pounds until you get to a weight that's, you know, somewhat reasonable with doing that amount, that many reps at that weight. And then when you can do that, it's like, all right, you probably don't feel the same way about thrusters anymore, do you? And you're like, no, I don't. It's like, what needed to happen is you need to get desensitized to the movement until you put yourself through it. Kind of like you were talking about early on with like, yeah. who gives a shit about the last 45 seconds of my interval because I've done 45 minute runs right. and rows forever and ever. It's the exact same concept when it comes to the barbell. And that the is back in hatchet quarterfinals prep because of your because of Paige's feedback from last year. The thrusters? Yep. They were pretty great. I mean, it showed in the last workout. <laughs> they were pretty showed great. in the very last workout. Sure did. Yeah. Why you do your thrusters? Terrifying yeah. to watch. Um <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> um I'll go with the I, I'm assuming that's WBS's wall balls. Wall ball, burpee box, jump over, double under, double dumbbell. Double dumbbell is kind of a I don't know. It's that's a bit of an outlier on a basic outlier, but um, if I don't like what, your answer. I'm doing it again. That's fine. What <laughs> I what I saw, what I see in this is the the commonality here is so uh, is a combination of pacing and breathing. Um, 
wall balls, double unders have that kind of natural cadence that we talk a lot about where it's like you're going to most people are going to be doing either 28 to 32 wall balls a minute thanks to gravity and double unders unless, you know, obviously there's a little bit of variance in how long your rope is and how quickly you spin the rope. But from individually, like individually, it's pretty fixed. And burpee box jump overs aside from the, you know, different, you know, let's assume it's kind of a middle duration thing. Most people are going to do those at roughly the same speed. Um, to me, those are those those movements are about learning where and how to breathe and how to pace yourself correctly in them. Um, not every set of wall balls is an unbroken challenge. Not every set of double unders is un, an unbroken challenge. And not every burpee box jump over set needs to be done by jumping, you know, basically making it as dynamic as possible and where you can actually step up do a jump, you know, the, the kind of the basics that we put in videos pretty often. Um, but those three, those three movements, I, w- I would be curious to know what the double dumbbell element is. I but, think it's uh, so, um, so the just, person said the know. basics and listed those out and then I think tacked on another weakness. Got essentially. It. Okay. So, well then let's assume those first three are the thing I would say that that's a breathe to me, that's a breathing thing, learning how and where to breathe in the movement. And then also, uh, understanding like I said, not every set of wall balls is meant to be unbroken. Like if if that movement specifically is going to put you in a grave by doing 30 reps instead of 20 and 10, then you should know that you should do 20 and 10. Yep. Um, I like your answer and I'm going to do some additions to it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just smell your eyes again. This, <laughs> this, no, this topic, I think, is important because it, if you are an OG in CrossFit, there was something about the like sexier movements being the thing. Like mm-hmm. if you could do muscle ups and pistols and handstand walk and do any of these different things, you are somehow a fitter athlete. We still have some of it next door. There are a handful of athletes that take our hatchet class that seem to be jealous of the way that I move in gymnastics that I couldn't write a single workout that I could beat them in. Not one. It's, it would not be possible for me to beat any of them in a workout. And somehow there's like a level of envy within that. And it's just like, no, that mindset of like, I do love the, like, I want to get better side of it, but putting the, you know, putting the car before the horse and not realizing that if you're going into the open and quarterfinals and you haven't nailed down the movements that show up every single year and comprise the most important parts of it, the double unders, the wall balls, your rowing technique, you know, these simple movements, no one cares about this other thing that you have poured blood, sweat and tears into and figured out whether it be the snatch or the, you know, clean and jerk or muscle ups or handstand, whatever, it might not even show up. And if it does, there's a pretty good chance it's not going to be as big of a deal. So just that mindset of like ignoring the basics because they're not cool will lead you to a really, really shitty place within the sport. Um, the other part, and this is not a joke, by the way, um, fear leading to imposter syndrome. There are two things that I've used in the past for people that I've learned elsewhere. One of them is the litany against fear from the book Dune. Um, read that to yourself regularly. Print it out. Put it on a card. I've wanted a cool way to put it on a T-shirt um, someday, maybe. I don't know if that's like copyright infringement or something. I'm not sure. Um, he, can, Yeah. He can't sue me. He's not even around. Um <laughs> So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get a cease and desist from the estate of, um, 
So that, and then I was listening to an interview once with, I think it was Jamie Foxx. I could be wrong, but he talks about how he talks his children through fear. And he says, what's on the other side of it? You picturing a door. I want you to open it, walk through the door and tell me what's there. What is on the other side of fear? Not there's nothing there. You know, we create these scenarios in our head. So I think it's about just accepting, like not trying to get rid of the fear, just sort of holding it and saying, I am scared of this, but what will happen if I do it anyways, or if I keep working at it or I keep trying to improve. And if you step through that doorway and what's on the other side, like is, is there one, you know, is there one person in your gym that's mean, that's going to make fun of you? Like no one cares about their opinion. Trust me. No one at all. So um, I just think sort of reframing how you think about that fear because fear can be a motivator. Um, and I love the litany against fear and what's on the other side of it. Anything else? Nah, good. Did we yeah. do it? We done. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Misfit Podcast. And thank you to our show sponsors. We're brought to you by ourselves. You can head to misfit.camp to get signed up for quarterfinals prep camp. You can head to misfitathletics.com to get signed up for quarterfinals prep program for hatchet athletes in phase four for MFT teens and masters. We're also brought to you by proper food fuel. You can head to properfuel.co. Use the code word page to save a little bit of extra dough in Paige's pocket. You can also head to sharpentheaxco.com. Use the code word page and put more dough in Paige's pocket. Talk. See you next week. Oh.